Jesus Christ. This morning we are going to be continuing our series through the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to be uh, picking up our series at the end of chapter 9. Looking at the topic of the harvest field and reaching out to our world with the good news of Jesus Christ. I had a friend by the name of Dave Busby. He was a uh, popular evangelist and speaker uh, back in the 1980s and 90s. He died a few years ago of cystic fibrosis. But a uh, great man and uh, shared a powerful message. One of his most famous messages was titled, The Main Thing is to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. And uh, he was talking about reaching out to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And this morning we're going to be talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. Our calling as followers of Jesus Christ to contribute to this great mission of bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. And we saw some great examples of that this morning already in our video with the Gideons in our drama sketch. And we're going to talk about this. Let's open in a word of prayer before we look at God's word here together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you and having a relationship with you. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have invited us to participate in a great calling. Living for you and bringing your gospel, your good news to the world. And we just pray, Lord, that as we think about this topic this morning, about this main thing that we're called to, that you might inspire all of us to not only see the ways that we are already playing a part in your mission of reaching the world, but maybe even inspire us in new and fresh ways this morning as to how we might contribute to this mission of bringing the gospel to all people. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be picking up here again at the end of Matthew, uh, chapter 9 this morning. And we're going to be uh, looking at chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It's a shorter section of scripture this morning, but uh, some powerful encouragements to us to contribute to this great mission. Here's the game plan this morning. I'm going to read the passage. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me or in your own Bibles. And uh, after I read the passage, I want to come back. I want to make a few observations about uh, what Jesus is sharing with us here in this passage. And then I want to come back and deal with some application points, some principles that we can hopefully apply to our own lives as we think about the ways that we as individuals and collectively as a church contribute to this mission of reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you would, why don't you follow along. We're going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 this morning. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, three short verses, but very powerful truths that God communicates to us here in the book of Matthew. I want to make a few observations this morning about these, uh, short, uh, uh, these short verses that we just read. The, uh, the first observation I want to make from our passage this morning 
is that Jesus highlights the fact that the world desperately needs him. The world desperately needs the Lord. In verse 36, Matthew says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, is the term that Matthew uses to describe the crowds and the world that Jesus looked out on with love and with compassion. I had an opportunity a few years back to travel to New Zealand. And uh, New Zealand is uh, known as the uh, sheep ranching capital of the world. I mean, uh, there, are, there are a million people uh, in New Zealand, but four million sheep. I mean, there's sheep everywhere in New Zealand. They, they eat sheep over there like we eat beef here in America. Sheep everywhere. And uh, we had an opportunity while we were there to spend some time. Uh, we stayed with a family who were actually sheep ranchers. And uh, it was interesting. They were Christians. And uh, so just out of curiosity one night when we were talking about our, our, just our family and our churches and our faith, and uh, I, I asked this man we were staying with, the father who was the sheep rancher, I asked him, I said, you know, let me ask you something. Jesus uses the metaphor of sheep all throughout the gospel to refer to the world and, and to people. And I said, why is it? You know, as a sheep rancher, you know sheep. Why is it that Jesus uses this metaphor in reference to the world so often? And uh, with his, uh, with his uh, heavy New Zealand accent, he said, he said, Mate, sheep are pitiful animals. <clears throat> sheep are pitiful animals. And I asked him, what do you mean by that? And he said, he said if you leave a sheep alone, if you leave sheep unguided, with no shepherd. Sheep will just wander about here and there, and they'll eventually wander off and get lost, and they won't even realize they're lost. They'll just keep wandering around, following each other blindly. He said sheep without a shepherd are not only dumb, and they'll wander off and get lost, but they're vulnerable to attack. Sheep have no defenses. He said if a sheep is attacked, if a coyote or a wolf comes to attack a sheep, you know what a sheep will do? Sheep will just lay down and let the thing kill it. I mean, they're pitiful animals. He said not only are they vulnerable to attack, but he also said that they have no relief from trouble without a shepherd. He said if the sheep wanders into a valley and wounds itself or gets injured, it has no way to help itself. If it runs into a thorn bush, it has no way to help itself. He said sheep without a shepherd are pitiful animals. And friends... This is why I believe that Jesus uses the metaphor of sheep so regularly throughout the Gospels when he talks about the world. Because Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on the crowd because without God and without a relationship with God, we, the world, are really like those pitiful sheep. Without any guidance, without any meaning or purpose in life, without a relationship with God, without a knowledge of our Creator. We wander through life aimlessly, with no ultimate direction, no ultimate meaning. I mean, for most people in our world who don't know God and don't know the great calling that He's invited us to be a part of, life is nothing more than waking up each day, going to work, putting in your time, coming home, going to bed, waking up the next morning, doing it all over again. Life becomes very shallow, very meaningless, very fast, without the knowledge of God and a relationship with our Creator. Without a relationship with God, our shepherd, like those pitiful sheep, we too are vulnerable to danger. In John 10.10, Jesus says that the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That's what Satan's trying to do. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy from all of us, our lives. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy our joy in life and our understanding of who we are in God's eyes. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy our relationships, our families, our marriages, our children. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says that Satan is like a roaring lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. And without a relationship with God, we are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy who's seeking to literally destroy our lives. Like those pitiful sheep, without our shepherd, we have no relief from trouble. When the trials and struggles of life come, we have no one to go to, no one to lean on, no one to go to for encouragement. Last week we talked about the great promise in Philippians 4, 7, where God promises us in times of trouble to give us that supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. Friends, without a relationship with the Lord, that peace is not accessible. And how much difference does it make to know the Lord and know the peace that comes from a relationship with Him? Without the Lord, we have, worst of all, probably, uh, out of all these issues, ultimately, we have no recourse for our sins. You know, without a knowledge of our Creator and a relationship with Him, and without the redemption that Jesus Christ provided for us on the cross, we have no ability to be forgiven and have a relationship with our Creator God. You know, the good news, though, friends, is what Matthew communicates here and what Jesus communicates is that Jesus came to be our shepherd. He came to be our good shepherd. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew 1.21, Matthew tells us that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. In John 3.16 and 17, John tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son and that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. He goes on in verse 17, he says, And God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him, because He loves us and has compassion on us. And when we know Jesus, when we have that relationship with Him, Jesus promises us in John 10.10 that He gives us life and life to the full. Life to the full here and now, a life with meaning, a life with purpose, a life with direction, and life to the full everlasting because Jesus is our good shepherd. The second observation I want to make, however, is that while Jesus had compassion on the crowds because we are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, the second observation that we see here in this passage in Matthew, Jesus tells us the world is ripe to receive the gospel. The world is ripe to receive the gospel. We are desperate. We are like those pitiful sheep. But the good news is the world is ripe to receive the gospel. But Jesus says someone needs to share it with them. Someone needs to share it with them. I had an opportunity a few years ago to, uh, to go to an evangelism conference where uh, the evangelist uh, by the name of Mark Cahill was speaking. Mark Gale is a real, uh, just powerful evangelist, a real champion of sharing your faith, and uh, really will motivate you. And uh, before Mark came up to speak, we had this great time of praise and worship, and the worship band got the, you know, the whole auditorium was just fired up. You know, we were so excited. And uh, the last song before Mark comes up to speak was, you know, Jesus, I believe in you, and I will go to the ends of the earth. And everybody was just so inspired. You know, we were just, yeah, we'll go to the ends of the earth. And Mark stands up and uh, comes up to preach. 
And he says, how many of you love the Lord today? And everybody was like, yeah, amen. He said, how many of you would be willing to go to the ends of the earth for the gospel? And everybody was like, amen, I'm there, yeah. And then Mark said, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever gone to the end of your driveway for the sake of the gospel? And it was just kind of like, ouch. <laughs> kind of like somebody had just punched you in the gut. Because I just realized that here I was singing about God, I believe in you, I'm willing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we so often don't even bother to take it to the end of our driveway. I read a survey from uh, George Barna this last week. Barna's the famous uh, Christian <coughs> researcher and pollster. Friends, do you know how many times the average Christian in America will invite a non believer to church with them? Any ideas? How many times will the average Christian American invite a non-believer to church with them? Want to know the answer? Once. On average, Christians in America will invite one non-believer in their lifetime to church with them. Friends, we need to embrace a greater sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel with non-believers. Life is short. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. This past summer, my dad, 61 years old, laid down to take a nap. Ten minutes later, he was gone. Life is short. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Fortunately, my dad knew the Lord, so I know he's with, he in, with the Lord in heaven today. But man, life is short. Our days are numbered. We don't know when our time is up. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. That witnessing opportunity that you've been waiting for, it may never come. I talked with a friend just this week who sat in my office shedding tears as he told me about a friend, a coworker, that he had worked with for years, that he had been meaning to share the gospel with, and he just always figured there'd be more time. There'd be more time. One day they were at their work site and this man fell and he died in my friend's arms. My friend cries tears to this day as he thinks about the missed opportunity of sharing the gospel with this man that he loved, a co-worker. Friends, famous theologian Carl F.H. Henry once said that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. You know, it's important for us to remember that. This is why Jesus encouraged us in John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus said, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Friends, that's Jesus' point. So often in life, we go through life thinking, oh, there's going to be time. I'm going to have another opportunity. I'm going to be able to witness my friend or my neighbor or my coworker. There's going to be more time. But Jesus says the time is now. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Four months from now is not guaranteed. The time is now. And we need to embrace a greater sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. The world is ripe to receive it. Observation number three from our passage this morning. Jesus says that the answer for the world's needs is prayer and workers in the field. Prayer and workers in the field. You know, Jesus gives us two simple instructions here in verse 38. He says, pray and go harvest. He says, pray and go harvest. Friends, this isn't rocket science we've been called to here. Okay? Jesus calls his people to pray for the harvest and go into the harvest. Go harvest. The main question we need to ask ourselves, though, is are we going to be willing to obey what Jesus asks us to do? Now, here's the deal, friends. I understand that for many of us who love and follow Jesus, 
when we think about this idea of evangelism and reaching out to the non-believers in our lives, uh, you know, for most of us, our hearts cry out, Amen. You know, we want to be about advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. When we think about our family and our friends and neighbors, our uh, people that we know and love who don't know the Lord, of course we want to reach them for the gospel. Our hearts long for that. We want to see them know the Lord. The problem, though, is that all of a sudden all these fears and doubts start running through our minds. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that happen? You start thinking about these people that you want to witness to, you want to reach for the Lord, and all of a sudden all these fears and doubts start running through your mind. You know, you start thinking to yourself, what if they think I'm crazy? You know, what if they reject the gospel? What if they reject the message? What if they don't want to have anything to do with me after I share it with them? And we get ourselves all worked up with all these fears and doubts. And pretty soon we've convinced ourselves of why we shouldn't share the gospel with people. Sometimes we even try to spiritualize our reason for not sharing the gospel with somebody. You know, I've had the tendency myself, it's, well, you know, I've just been praying for an opportunity and I just haven't really felt the Spirit leading me yet to share the gospel with that person. Friends, that's baloney. You don't have to wait for the Spirit's leading to do something that God's already commanded us to do. God's already commanded us to take the good news of the gospel to the entire world. You don't have to pray about, Lord, should I take the gospel to my neighbor across the street? He's already told us to do it. Okay. Now here's, here's the deal. I know evangelism can be an intimidating prospect for, for most of us. Myself included. I'm a professional too, by the way. And it's intimidating for me. Okay. But what I want to do this morning is simply encourage all of us here to consider coming to join the harvest. Come and join the harvest. And I think that what you'll find is that contributing to the harvest mission that Jesus has given us doesn't have to be as intimidating as you might think. In fact, you may even be contributing to God's harvest mission already in greater ways than you are even giving yourself credit for. Okay? We're going to talk about this morning how we can contribute to this harvest mission. So here's the deal. Before you get all discouraged, before you start beating yourself up this morning because you haven't yet shared the gospel with your whole neighborhood yet this week, okay? All right? I want to just simply encourage you this morning to consider the ways that we can contribute to God's harvest mission. I want to share with you three principles this morning. Three principles for working the harvest. Principle number one that we need to recognize this morning is this. First of all, we need to recognize and understand that working God's harvest land, working God's harvest land is a communal effort. All of us play a part. We all play a part in contributing to the harvest. Back in college, I had an opportunity to uh, travel to Israel and uh, spend a month studying in Israel. Uh, In Israel, uh, while we were there, we spent uh, two days living uh, on, in, an, in an Israeli farming community called a kibbutz. Uh, not a caboose, a kibbutz. All right? And uh, in Israel, they have these kibbutzes all over, which are uh, these communal farms where families will come, they'll live together, and they'll work together farming this land, and everybody pitches in and everybody plays a part. Uh, they all work together, they plow, they sow, they water, they reap, and everybody contributes to the mission of the kibbutz, this farming community. And friends, this is exactly how the Bible describes our work together as the body of Christ contributing to the advancement of the gospel. We all play a part. Some of us plow, 
Some of us plant seed, some of us water, and some of us get the privilege of reaping the fruit. But all of us play a part in this. I want to read a few passages of Scripture for you that highlight this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-9. through 9. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters does anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. In John 4, 37-38, Jesus echoes this same concept. He says, Thus the saying, One sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. You see, friends, in the body of Christ, contributing to the harvest mission is a communal effort. We all play a part. Some of us plow ground, some of us plant seed, some of us are called to water and tend the crop, and some of us get to reap the fruit. But all of us are in this work together. So I want to ask you the question, whether it's plowing or sowing or reaping, Whatever it might be, are you being faithful to the role that God has called you to? See, we all are contributing to this mission. The question is, will we be faithful in the area where God has put us right now? Whether it's as a Sunday school teacher, whether it's as an elder in the church, whether it's an evangelist who's going around you know, to your friends and neighbors sharing the gospel, whether it's going into the prison ministry, whether it's working with the Gideons, whatever God's called you to, are you being faithful with where he's placed you in this harvest mission. See, God may use you in one or in all these areas, plowing field, planting seed, watering, harvesting. He might use you in one or more of these areas. He might use you in different areas at different times of your life. The question is, are you ready? And will you be open to where God calls you, what he puts in front of you to do? Second application, second principle for working the harvest. Jesus tells us to pray for the harvest. Verse 38, he says, pray for the harvest. Why should we pray? Well, first of all, we pray because prayer prepares the soil of people's hearts to receive the Lord. Prayer prepares the soil of people's hearts to receive the Lord. Last week we talked about Jesus having the power and the authority to do miracles. And so we pray for lost people because we are asking God to do a miracle in their hearts, to open their hearts to be willing to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Prayer prepares the soil ahead of the gospel. So we pray for our friends. We pray for our family. We pray for the lost people that we care about that God would begin to soften their hearts and work on their hearts. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And so we pray, Lord, remove the blinders from my friend's life. Remove the blinders from my family's life that need to know you. And so we pray that God would prepare the soil. In John 6.44, Jesus tells us that no one can come to the Father unless God draws them to Himself. And so we pray, Lord, draw my friend to You. Through Your Holy Spirit, Lord, draw them to You to have a desire to have a relationship with You. In 2 Timothy 2.25-26, Paul tells us that we pray with the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Prayer prepares the soil of a person's heart 
to make them receptive to receive the gospel. We just finished here at Lakes Free a two-week prayer initiative where we've been praying for Carrie Gustafson and her Bible translation work amongst the Bee people in northern Thailand. We were praying for spiritual breakthroughs as these people received the gospel for the very first time in their lives. And friends, we were praying like that because we believe that we are preparing the soil ahead of these people receiving the gospel. We're asking that God would do a miracle as these people receive the gospel and that their hearts would be open to it. Prayer prepares the soil. The second reason we pray is because prayer also prepares us, the workers, to go out into the harvest field. See, when we pray for lost people, what prayer does is prayer conforms our will to God's will. And so as we begin to pray for the lost people in our lives that God loves and has compassion for, God uses those prayers to begin to transform us to have a greater desire for those people in our lives who don't know Him. So I'm praying for my neighbor and I'm saying, Lord, I just pray that somehow my neighbor would hear the gospel and receive the gospel. And as I'm praying regularly and faithfully for my neighbor, what God does is He begins to work on my own heart, giving me a greater passion and love and burden for reaching my neighbor. And pretty soon what you'll find is that not only does God prepare the soil of their heart, but God begins to prepare your own heart to maybe be the one who actually participates in bringing the gospel to them. See, prayer prepares the soil, but it also prepares the worker. Jesus says, pray for workers to go into the harvest field. Friends, you heard the old phrase, be careful what you pray for? All right? On a positive note, as we begin to pray for the lost people in our lives, not only is God working on their hearts, but He may begin to work on your heart to be the one to reach out to them. And I will guarantee you, if you start praying for the lost people in your lives, you're going to see God open up more and more doors and opportunities for you to have an influence in sharing the gospel with them. So I'd encourage all of us to make a list. Start praying for the lost people that we know. I had, a, I had a, a kid in my college group back when I was a college pastor at my former church. His name was Billy, and uh, he, got, he got stuck on this uh, question for a period of about three months. Every Sunday he'd come up and he'd just say, Jason, what about the guy out in the middle of the jungle who's never heard about Jesus? You know, and, and, and he was just, this, this question was just eating him up inside. I can't believe that God would send somebody to hell who's never heard about Jesus. What about the guy who's never heard about Jesus? And he just kept coming week after week. And he was just wrestling with this question. Well, finally, after about three months of this, I finally said to Billy, Billy, if you're so worried about the guy who's never heard about Jesus, why don't you go do something about it? And he just kind of stopped for a minute. And he was like, oh, yeah, I guess I never thought about that. You know... Friends, God has called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I said to Billy, I said, Billy, why don't you start praying for those people who haven't heard the gospel? Pray that God would reach them. Pray that God would send somebody to bring the gospel to them. Pray that they would somehow come to hear the gospel and receive the Lord. Well, my friend Billy, he began to pray those types of prayers for the lost people in our world. Billy went on, he graduated college, he went on to seminary, graduated from seminary. He's now a Christian counselor. He and his wife are preparing to go out into the mission field as missionaries in the next year to reach the lost people who haven't heard the gospel. Prayer prepares the soil of people's hearts, but it also prepares us, the workers. And I want to encourage you, friends, to begin to pray for the lost people in your lives. Principle number three for working the harvest field. If prayer is the act of plowing the soil... Principle number three is referencing the sowing of the seed. And this is where we need to, uh, principle number three, we need to get our hands dirty. 
We need to get our hands dirty. We need to get out into the field and do the work. All right. Any farmer worth his salt will tell you, you know what, you can have all the great equipment in the world, you can have the brand new John Deere tractor and combine, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, if you're going to farm the crop and harvest the field, you got to get it, get your hands dirty. All right. And friends, we need to go out into the field. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to plant seed. We need to tend the crops. And then we need to reap the fruit. Let's look at these three ideas of planting seed, tending crop, and reaping fruit, how we might contribute to these, uh, this process. First of all, when we talk about planting seed, how do we plant the seed of the gospel in people's lives? Well, friends, I want to share three ideas with you. First thing we need to do when it comes to planting seed is we need to be willing to engage people. We need to be willing to engage people. Christians are called to take the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world. We need to go out and we need to engage people. We need to open up relationships with non-believers. We need to go to them. We can't just assume that they're just going to come walking through the doors of our church and say, hey, can you come tell me about Jesus? We need to engage people. Jesus called us fishers of men. He called us fishers of men. My friend uh, Doug Bierman, some of you guys know Doug Bierman, he and I were out fishing uh, this past fall. And uh, it was right around the corner from hunting season. The fishing season was winding down. And we're out there fishing, and I asked Doug, I said, Doug, uh, so uh, t- tell me, do you, uh, do you hunt? And Doug says, yeah, I hunt fish. <laughs> Friends, that's exactly the attitude that we have to have as fishers of men. We hunt fish. But we're not talking about fish in the lake. We're talking about people who need to know the Lord. And so we need to go out into the world and seek these people out and engage them in relationships so that we can have an opportunity to influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to follow the Apostle Paul's model. In Acts 17.17, we see the Apostle Paul demonstrating this in an awesome way. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. So Paul's in the place of worship. He's sharing the gospel in the synagogue. But then he's out in the marketplace, day by day, sharing the gospel with all those who happen to be there. Friends, each and every one of us, every single day, goes out into the marketplace. Your place of work, when you're running errands, when you're hanging out with your friends and neighbors... We go out into the marketplace every day. And if we follow Paul's model, we should use those opportunities with people to engage them in relationships with the purpose of sharing the gospel. The second way we plant seed is we actually got to get around to communicating the gospel. People need to hear and understand the gospel in order to respond to it. We need to ultimately get around to sharing the gospel, verbally communicating the gospel. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? People need to hear the gospel. And they need somebody who will be willing to share the gospel with them. I often tell people, friends, lifestyle evangelism alone is inadequate. I run into a lot of Christians, they think, you know, I'm just going to live, my, live a good life and be a nice moral person and be a good friend, be a good neighbor, and I'm just going to let the light of Jesus shine through me. And friends, there's nothing, that's great. Let the light of Jesus shine through you. Be a great, nice, moral person, right? But the reality is there's all kinds of nice, great, moral people out there who don't know Jesus. Okay? Eventually, we need to get around to sharing the gospel, verbally communicating the truth that people need to know. 
the reality of our sin, that Jesus came to be our Savior and redeem us from our sin. Okay? Living a nice moral life is a great thing. Let the light of Jesus shine through you. But that alone is not communicating the gospel. At the same time, though, the third point I want to make about this is that we do need to relate to people. We do need to relate to people. So while lifestyle evangelism alone is inadequate, it can be a valuable tool in communicating the gospel. Okay? Friends, hearts as well as heads must be one. We communicate the gospel verbally and rationally so people understand it and can respond to it. But we also want to win their hearts and help them see that believing this stuff does make a difference. It changes lives. We see another example of this in the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. See, friends, Paul shared not only the gospel, but also his life. It's a both-and situation here. We can't just assume that by being a great neighbor and friend that people are going to know the gospel through that. They're not. They need to hear it. We need to communicate it to them. But at the same time, we do want to share the love of Jesus with them. We want to see, let them see the light of Jesus shining through us so that they're not only inspired intellectually to receive the gospel, but they say, man, that Diane is the neatest lady. If, she, if that's what Jesus does, I want to be like her. You know, We want to let the love of Jesus Christ shine through us. And so we communicate the gospel, but we also need to be willing to relate to people. Second thing we need to do when it comes to getting our hands dirty is we need to tend the crops. Tending the crops, this is the watering. This is the caring for the crops. This is where we invest in the harvest. We invest in the harvest. Some plow the ground, some plant seeds. Some invest in the harvest by giving their time, by giving of their talents, by giving of their treasures. We saw this in the skit today. Friends, that skit today was titled Ordinary Women. But the reality of it is there are no ordinary women when it comes to God's harvest core. You understand that? There are no ordinary men or women. We all play a part in this. We all contribute to the mission. And all of us can share by giving of our time, our talents, our treasures to help advance the gospel in our world. You know, I find that a lot of times we beat ourselves up for not being as bold in planting seed. You know, I haven't verbally shared the gospel. I haven't shared the four spiritual laws yet with anybody this week. Right? And we beat ourselves up because I'm not a great evangelist. But friends, the reality is, harvesting is a team effort. Play your part faithfully. Do what God's called you to do. You know, it's interesting. We have people here all the time that we hear from who come to us and they tell us, Pastor Rick, I prayed with you to receive the Lord on Sunday morning. Yeah, I never told you this, but three months ago I prayed that prayer with you. We hear from those people all the time like this who tell us that they come to the Lord on Sunday mornings here at Lakes Free. Friends, I want you to think about all that goes into somebody putting their trust in Jesus Christ here on a Sunday morning. You know, we all play a part in this. Think about this. It starts with the friend who invites their, their friend to church. She goes home and she checks out on the website and looks at our website and the website helps her to feel a little bit more comfortable about showing up. She comes to the front door and we got the greeters and the ushers here to welcome her, to make her feel special. we got the Sunday school teachers down the hall who are there taking care of her kids so that she can feel okay about coming and worshiping here in the sanctuary. we got the worship team that praises and sings and opens her heart up to considering a relationship with the Lord and the Gospel. we got the preacher up here who stands up and communicates the Word of God and the Gospel so that she might receive it. we got all of you who contribute faithfully financially 
to make this facility even possible and all the ministries possible and to support the salary of a pastor who can share the gospel with people here on Sunday mornings. Friends, there are so many pieces that go into somebody accepting the Lord here on a Sunday morning. We all play a part in this. So again, I just want to encourage you. What has God called you to do? What part of the harvest mission, what role can you play in the harvest mission? You know, God's not going to call all of us to be Billy Graham. Okay? But you know what? We can support the ministries of people like Billy Graham. God's not going to call all of us to be a guy like Ron Backus. You know, Ron, I love, Ron inspires me. He's out there sharing his faith with people all the time. But you know what? We're not all going to be doing that. But you know what? We can support Ron in his ministry and the other missionaries here at Lakes Free. God calls some of us to different roles. The question is, will we be faithful with our role in in, uh, fulfilling the harvest? Last thing we do is we reap the fruit. And this is the most exciting part of the harvest. How do we reap the fruit? By inviting others to receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You know, friends, many Christians know how to fish, but they fail to set the hook. You know, I found that the hardest part of sharing the gospel with somebody is that last invitation. Would you like to pray with me to receive Jesus Christ? You know, I find in my own life that as I'm sharing the gospel with people, it's like I can tell that they're receptive, I can tell that they're open, and then all of a sudden it's like Satan starts coming up whispering in my ear, oh, Jason, don't, they, they might think you're crazy. I mean, you know, The hardest part of sharing the gospel is setting the hook and saying, hey, do you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ? Friends, we need to come alongside people. We need to invite them and encourage them to take that opportunity. Sometimes people just need that little encouragement. I want to encourage you this morning, friends. Come and join the harvest. You may be playing a greater role in the harvest than you already than any of you even realize right now. But we all play a part. We all play a role. There's nothing greater than living for the Lord and contributing to God's harvest mission. Jesus says the world is ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few. I want to encourage you, friends, to think and pray about the ways that you can contribute to God's harvest mission. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and we're going to let you go. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the great invitation that you've uh, invited us to be a part of, contributing to your harvest mission. Lord, the world is ripe unto harvest, but the workers are few. Lord, let our church be a place that sends out workers into the harvest field. Lord, as we saw in that drama today, encourage all of us to recognize that we all play a part in this. Whether we're a Sunday school teacher or a nursery worker or a singer on the worship team or a building and grounds crew member, Lord, we all play a part in this harvest mission. Help us to be faithful with the way that you have called us to contribute and help us to be faithful to the possible ways that you may call us to contribute. Lord, help us pray for lost people and give us a passion ourselves for going out into the fields and making a difference for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for who you are, what you've done for us. Help us to have that passion for lost people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I want to remind you today as you leave, we have a great opportunity to contribute to the harvest right now this morning. Our ushers are going to be in the back uh, with a special offering for our Gideon friends. And I'd encourage you to help support the ministry of getting God's word out into the world. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.